glad you took some time to join us this weekend. We're in a series called The Next Door Campaign. Uh, it's about a unique opportunity, uh, but it's also honestly not that unique. And let me explain. It's about a unique opportunity in that we have been given uh, the opportunity to move next door to the 10 and a half acres of land that we have next door. Most weekends, uh, we've been struggling for parking and kid room and even room in our auditorium with our worship services. And so God has graciously, after a lot of praying and a lot of pushing, uh, we found 10 and a half acres. It was a slight miracle in how God laid that on us. We got a 40% discount on the purchase of the land. We were able to pay cash because many of you have faithfully given and we've been putting money away for a long time so that we wouldn't have to go into debt in step one in order to get next door. We lease where we're at now. Uh, our elders made a decision about a year and a half ago instead of expanding here and raising our lease payment uh, to move next door. And so it's unique in that we're trying to literally move next door and build a building, but it's not unique in that we're doing it by the very same thing that we've done everything else we've done in this church, and that is by faith. Everything that we've done that's led us to every door we've walked through in 12 years of ministry has been done by faith. If you're a follower of Jesus, your life is a summation of daily living by faith. Everything that we do as followers of Christ is a by faith way of living. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a by faith chapter in the Bible. And it goes through accounting all of these people who have come before us who live lives that made an impact and a difference that we still look to and read about by faith. It wasn't by their greatness. It wasn't by their uh, discipline. It wasn't by their effort. It wasn't by their perfection. But it was a life lived by faith. And when we live by faith, God can do through us incredible things. So it's abnormal in the sense that we have an opportunity that's unique. We get to walk next door and build a space so that we can equip and send saints to the ends of the earth like we've been doing here. But it's not unique in the sense that we are going to continue to do what we've been doing, and that is trying to live lives by And that's where we're at. We're, we're, we're trying to live by faith. Hebrews 11.6 that says that it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So if you want to live a life that honors God, that makes a difference, it must be a life that depends on God by faith. It must be a, a life that clings to God by faith. Consider it this way. Every single day, you're going to do the, the, the day by something. You can do the day by worry. Many of you lived a day by worry. You woke up with worry. It began to paint a picture of what you thought was going to happen, of how you thought every conversation and every interaction was going to go. And so you lived by worry. But the good news is, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that you've been invited to live by... You, you, many of you have woken up and you've lived a day by fear. Fear painting a picture of the worst possible outcome and convincing yourself that that is going to be your reality. See, that's the path of fear. Fear always tells you that this is the worst that can happen and it's going to happen because you're you. You're that person. And, and many of you have lived today by fear, but the good news is you've been invited to live every day as a follower of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, by faith. M many of you have lived days by your past. 
meaning what you did yesterday determines your outlook on how spiritual or non-spiritual today will be, on whether or not you'll be heard by God or not heard by God, be able to walk with God or be able to walk in the absence of God. And it's all based on what happened yesterday. But the good news is you don't live by yesterday if you're a follower of Jesus. You live by faith, which means you wake up to the reality that his mercies are new every morning, that his grace is sufficient for you. You see, many of you are living in this moment because the very last moment before you got into the church today was something that was done by sin. You said something, you did something, and it causes you to withdraw from God instead of run towards God. But the good news is, even if that last moment was by sin that you live by, by the grace in the blood of Jesus, I'm here to tell you and remind you that you get to live this moment, no matter what the last moment was, by faith. All four people are with me. A revival's breaking out. I can feel it in my bones. You see, the grace of God has ensured that every day for the believer is one that is lived by faith. What is faith? Faith is not a wish. It is not merely a hope. Hope is distinguished from faith in the scripture. So you can't say faith and hope are the same thing. They're distinct things. They're similar. They work together, but they are distinct. So, so what is faith? Faith is not a wish. It's not merely a hope. It's not a desire for something better. It's not sera sera. whatever will be, will be. God's got this sort of, I'm not happy about it, but I'm here because I don't have a choice. That's not faith. Faith is present belief in the active presence of God. Faith is present belief in the active presence of God. And it's built on the track record of God that predates the moment you're in. Meaning, we have the scriptures, Hebrews 11 gives us a uh, roll call of God's faithfulness over all of human history. And it's given to us not so that we look at people like Moses and Noah and go, wow, they were great. They did significant things. They're powerful people. Be like Moses. Be like Noah. Be like David. No, that's never the call of Scripture. The call is not to be like anyone in Scripture other than a guy named Jesus. That's it. If it weren't for God's work, God's grace, and the work of Jesus in the life of abnormal, imperfect, sinful people, then you would only have abnormal and imperfect and sinful people. But because God is at work through abnormal and sinful people, because he's a blameless and perfect and always never-changing, beautiful God, what we get is the opportunity to be encouraged by the faith in which they walk. Many of you have a track record of how God has been faithful in your life. Uh, moments, perhaps, that you lived and you walked in in a season of your life where you didn't think God was there, but in providence, you looked in the rearview mirror and you see his fingerprints all over that season of life. Have you experienced that? Where, where in the moment you thought God isn't there, God isn't active, God isn't present, God isn't at work, and then a year later you look back and you go, God was there and he was active and he was playing chess and setting things up that I could not see at the time. So if God was faithful in a season in the past where I doubted his faithfulness, then I can live in this present moment of uncertainty by faith because he's not changed, therefore I have not been destroyed. You see, the, the theological term I love to teach around this is a theological term called quorum deo. It's the idea that we're to live every moment in the face of God. That if you're a follower of Jesus, every moment is present in the presence of God. And so, so you and I, in whatever suffering or victory, whatever triumph or trial we go through, is a moment that's being lived in the face of God, in God's 
presence. Faith is present belief in the active presence of God. It's the confidence daily that wakes up and believes God is with me. Now I want you to consider how different your outlook and your view of tomorrow is if you wake up with the confidence that God is truly with you. Think about the way that you view conversations that you feel powerless to change, situations and circumstances that you feel overwhelmed by. What if you got a little faith that gave you the grit to look at it and go, no, 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 God is with me. That, that's what this sermon series has been about. We've been looking at stories of faith or a lack of faith and the lessons that we can learn. Last week, we looked at, uh, I can't even remember what we looked at last week because ADD just took it from my head. That's how great the sermon was. I got five of you to laugh. We're, we're on a journey. Six are coming. Uh, last week, we looked, we looked at a story of the 12 spies of Caleb and Joshua and how they observed that what God had said about the land was true, but they, 10 of the 12, didn't believe and didn't want to fight and didn't want to battle. And as a result of it, they wandered in the wilderness on what should have been a two-week walk. It turned into a 40-year journey, and everyone that was over the age of 20 never got to see the promised land that God was going to lead them to, all because they believed God enough whenever he was feeding their bellies, but they didn't trust God enough to actually walk on the land and face the obstacles and the challenges that would come with it. And so we, we want to be a by faith people. Well, today I want to go to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 14. Normally we teach through books and chapters of the Bible. We are in a faith topic series right now. And so to give you some setting that we normally would have because we would have looked at chapter 13 the week prior, let me quickly give you a chapter 13 setup so that you can understand what we jump into in chapter 14. And then I want to encourage you to walk by eight. We're getting there. 1 Samuel chapter 14 is preceded by the 13th chapter. In the 13th chapter, the setup is this. Saul is king. Uh, Israel, instead of having God as their king and their Lord, uh, goes to Samuel, the priest, and says, we would rather have a king over us. Samuel warns them, this is not going to go well. He will take from you. He will steal from you. Uh, it, 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 he will domineer over you. And they still cry out, nonetheless, we want a king. And here's the reason why. Because we want to be like everybody else. And this is how you know things are going to go wrong. Things are going to go bad. As a follower of Jesus, you were meant to stick out for God's reasons, not, not for your weird Christian ones that you have on T-shirts and bracelets and coffee mugs. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about sticking out because of your radio station. I'm talking about sticking out because of the presence of God that illuminates your life, that makes you humble and meek in the things that the world would see as a vice that you now believe to be a virtue and a treasure just want to make sure you understand that. Some of you think that you stick out because, you know, you blast Stephen Curtis, and I love Stephen Curtis, and we all need a great adventure every now and then. But my, my point, does anyone know? Three people? Started out this morning in the usual way. Anybody? Okay. I, no, no, they, it, we're going to move. My point. My point. <laughs> my, my, my point is... What we have in this story is a king that's been propped up in the place of God, and, and it's not going well. So Saul draws up an army because the Philistines come to press down on them. He gets 3,000 men to join him in his army. 2,000 of them stay with King Saul, and 1,000 of them go with his son Jonathan. Okay, this is all in chapter 13. Jonathan takes a thousand and attacks a Philistine garrison, and he has success. It goes well. But in response 
to Jonathan's success, the Philistines get 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers and say, what now? They poke the hornet's nest. How many, how many of you have ever thought, man, we got victory, and the next day the enemy said, no, 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 there's another round? Right? Like, th- th- this, this is what literally happens in chapter 13. It's like, they, they go and attack. They're like, we're going to win. The next day, the enemy's like, ah, let's, let's, let's talk about that. As a result, all of the army of Israel hides in the caves in this valley and begins to desert. Many of them running back on the other side of Jordan towards Egypt. Others deserting and hiding in caves and then trying to sneak away in the middle of the night. So, the Philistines respond. They assemble, assemble a big army. After getting... Uh, into the valley surrounded by the Philistines, Israel's soldiers begin to hide. That's in chapter 13, verse 6 and 7. Saul sees the difficult spot that he's in, and he decides that he needs to consult with the Lord. So he sends word for Samuel. Samuel says to wait on him, and that he, as the high priest, would stand bet- which was his job, would stand between the people and God. He would make an evening sacrifice or a sacrifice of one of the daily sacrifices. There was one in the morning and one in the evening on behalf of Israel, and then God would give them wisdom on what to do, attack, retreat, do something different. Saul wakes up, waiting on Samuel to arrive. His army is talking about deserting him and abandoning him and leaving him, and he, uh, the morning sacrifice comes, and he waits. But by the time the evening sacrifice comes, he's so nervous that he's going to lose everybody, and Samuel's not there, so he decides he's going to step into Samuel's place and try and be the high priest. Here's the problem. You are gifted, but you are not the embodiment of the Christian life. The Christian life is a communal life, and we have all been called to walk in our lane, to, in the words of uh, a guy that had the Ball brothers, to stay in your lane. And when you get out of your lane and you try to be somebody that you're not, someone that God has not gifted you to be, what you find yourself doing is things that will not produce the fruit of God in your life. For many of you know something needs to get done, but you don't trust God to get it done, so you think that it's all on you. So you try and carry it and be all things to all people at all times, knowing that in reality you're not using the gifts that God has given you, and you're tired, you're empty, you're run out, all because you're standing in size 13 shoes with size 9 feet. You see, see for, for a lot of us, it, w- it would do well to understand that part of faith is understanding that not every problem is your problem. That you're not the solution to everything that you see in the world around you. Sometimes it is an active step of faith to wait and do nothing than it is to try and stand up and do something you're not gifted to do. Saul tries to get into Samuel's place. He offers the evening sacrifice. He's proud of himself. He comes out. Samuel shows up. Thinking that Samuel's going to encourage him because he's done the good thing. He sought after God. Samuel rebukes him and says, the kingdom... Your kingdom would have been established today, but instead it's torn from you. You're going to be replaced. God's looking for a man after his own heart and has found one. So now the king has been told the news that he's going to be replaced. This is called a bad day, in case you're following along. Uh, As a result of it, the army emerges from their caves in chapter chapter 13, verse 15, and there's only 600 left. I'm not doing math, but that's not going in a good direction when war is on the horizon. The Philistines eliminated all the blacksmiths in Israel, and there was nobody that had the ability to make weapons anymore. So now you've got 6,000 chariots that are waiting on you, and you've got no one that can make swords. The day of the battle arrives at the end of chapter 13, and the entire army has two swords. I want to repeat that again. You have 600 soldiers. You have two swords. Two swords. Saul has one and Jonathan has the other. So in summation, the setting of chapter 14 is this. Really quick, I want to run through it. 
the, the army of Israel is surrounded. The army is dwindling. The Philistine army is rising. Fear in Israel is growing. Saul is being replaced as king. And Israel's entire army has two swords. And it's time to fight. Chapter 14. One day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. Who is Jonathan? Saul's son. All right, the king's son, Jonathan. He's got an armor bearer. He says, let's go over to the Philistines' outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, as Jonathan is going into the valley and towards the enemy, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migran. That's an interesting note. Because the pomegranate tree, when you had a king that was under it, it's him posturing and saying, we've got this, we've won. It's essentially what every Californian looked like in January of 2020. Everyone was posturing, this is our year, we're going to seize it, 2020, year of clarity, COVID hits by March. They're, even if they're saying it, they're crying on the inside, we got this, it's our year, it's going to be great. That, that's where Saul's at. He's in retreat, but he's trying to act like he's got it together to keep the army together. But he's lost it. He already knows he's lost it. He's posturing success that he doesn't have. Verse 3, among Saul's men was Ahijah, the priest, who came out of the line of Eli, just to give you some background. Uh, really dark, difficult story that was uh, there with Eli. Eli was so big that he fell out of a chair when he heard that his sons had died and he broke his neck. That came earlier in the story. So there's tragedy. Uh, uh, the priest, uh, was his wife was pregnant uh, at the time. She heard the news and then named uh, her son uh, which comes later, Ichabod, which means the Lord has departed. So tragedy in the family. Now, Samuel is the high priest. Samuel has told Saul that the Lord's done with him. As a result, Saul's trying to put up a religious community around him so that he can blame God if it doesn't go right. He's playing the religious part. He's reading the prayers, but he's checked his mind at the door. It's heartless worship. It's heartless appearance. It's, it's, it's Christianity for appearance sake. It's godliness for appearance sake, which actually has no fruit that comes from it. Stay with me. So among the men were Ahijah the priest who was wearing the ephod. So he's acting like they want to hear from God. The priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub. Uh, son of Phineas, great cartoon, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. Okay, verse 4. So, here's the setting. Uh, in retreat, Saul's at Gibeah under the pomegranate tree with people wearing the priestly clothing, waiting. Jonathan wakes up and goes, I'm going to go to the problem and to the obstacle and see if God's up to something. In your life... You need to understand that many of the obstacles you have have been given to you so that you can understand the power of God at a level that you've never discovered or known. Many of the obstacles that you have have been put there so that you will depend on God and not yourself, so that you won't wander from God in success and think that I've got this because I got this living is not by faith living and you've been designed for by faith living. So God will allow obstacles to come into your life so that you can cling to him and by his power and in his timing know how you're to approach those obstacles. It's the space around which you experience a move of God. Yet for many of us, instead of walking towards them, looking for God to move, we faithlessly wander from them, assuming that God can't be in difficult things or obstacles, and we run back to Gibeah's in retreat, and we posture victory that we're not actually walking in. And we posture a, a servitude and a religiosity 
animosity that we're not actually walking out. And so, so this is what we have. One's walking towards the obstacle, one's in retreat from it, and they're both acting like they want to hear from God, but one's going to be active in his faith in the pursuit of hearing God. The other passively is waiting on a touch by an angel moment where Tess is going to show up and tell him the Lord loves him and it's okay. You see the setting? Jonathan is walking towards it, looking for God. To reach the Philistines, verse 4, outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sina. I've got a picture of that. It's actually still there. You can see this. Uh, there was a war in World War I, and uh, the general on the night of the battle made the army read this text, and in reading it, changed his battle strategy and actually used it, and it worked in the war still. So, words profitable in all seasons. One side is called, uh, one, one side of this is called Bozes, the other side is called Sina. Bozes means slippery rocks, and uh, Sina means thorny rocks. And so you've got to walk between slippery and thorny rocks. It's not easy to navigate. You can't bring a whole army through there. There'll be lots of turned ankles and broken bones and people falling, and they'll hear you coming. There's no sneaking up on anyone through this valley. On the other ends of it, the text tells us, the cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, that's where the Philistine army was, and the one on the south was in front of Gibeah, that's where Saul and his 600 were. He said to him, verse 6, let's go across to his armor bearer, let's go across to the uh, outpost of those pagans. Some texts say uncircumcised Philistines. Biblical smack talk. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, and then here's, here's what he says, perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. Okay, I think about me being in the story a lot when I read it. And I consider what would my emotions really have been if I was there. Like when Jesus looked at the disciples and said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. I don't think I would have gotten that quick. I probably would have been one of the people going, it's getting weird. Is this the Kool-Aid moment where we put $5 in our pocket and we take a nap? Like, like what, like, like what? I'm probably not, I'm just going to be, I'm not the person that's quick to go, oh, God was in it and that was it. You know, I, I, that's not me. And so if you come to me with a plan where the two of us are going to go to a Philistine outpost that could have anywhere, we find out this outpost had 20 men, but it could have anywhere from 20 up to two or 300 in the outpost. And, and your words are, those uncircumcised Philistines, I probably would have started with, yeah. And then you lead with, perhaps God will favor us. I, perhaps, would have told you that we should get some conviction on whether or not God is going to favor us before we perhaps walk the journey. Why don't we perhaps pray longer? Why do we need to perhaps walk first whenever there's still lots of perhapses of what could happen when we should perhaps sit here until we're sure we know what's going to happen. See, I, I don't like perhapses in my life. I like certainty. And you see, the problem of certainty is that that's actually what's opposite to faith. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is. Faith is the response to the uncertainty of life based on the certain presence of God. I'm going to say that again because no one heard it. And it was a great moment for someone to be Baptist. Faith, ready, 
is us stepping into uncertain places in life based on the certain presence of God and what he has done in our past that invigorates us to have a confidence that he will do and move in our present. That's faith. Yeah. Oh, three people. I told you. We're going to get a revival by the end. Lord's moving. I can sense it coming. So, so, so here's what you need to know. You could read this and go, this is careless. But if you investigate it further, you'll discover that there's a conviction being revealed in the young man's heart named Jonathan. He starts by identifying them as uncircumcised Philistines or pagans. Let me break down what he's actually saying. What he's saying is not just merely like, this is funny, let's make fun of them. He's saying, they're just human, God's not with them. If God was with them, then there would be reason to fear. But if God's not with them, then why are we sitting here in fear? They're just people. They're just people. I had a friend, everyone does. It's like three degrees of separation from Billy Graham. Like, you know, my dad got saved at the Billy Graham revival. There was a rumor at one point in time that you could, if you found three Christians, one of them had a tie to someone that was at a Billy Graham evangelistic revival that had been led to Christ. So uh, I had a friend who got to go with Billy into the uh, Oval Office to meet with a president. And they got out of the Oval Office, and the friend was like not playing it cool. You ever met one of those people where you're like, just be calm, you know, be a wallflower, and they're like sticking out. So they get outside the Oval Office, like, that was the president. We were just in the Oval Office. Oh my gosh, that was so cool. And Billy said, would you stop? It's just a person. See, without God, we're just a person. No matter how big the accolades are and the platitudes and the bank account may be, you're just a person without God. And what he's saying is, without God, they're just soldiers. But on top of that, with conviction, he's saying, but we're the people of God. And we're not just people. We're light in the darkness. We're salt to the earth. We are the present work of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We, we are the people that carry greater is he that is in us than he that is in the... We are more than conquerors through Christ who... See, some of y'all don't know your identity, which, which may be part of the problem here. If you are in Christ Jesus, what you were apart from him is normal. Sinful people doing sinful stuff in different sinful ways, thinking that it was cute, going to be freeing, and only finding themselves enslaved to it in the end. Dissatisfied, never content, always longing and leading more. That's the human experience. But if Christ is with you at work, in you, then you are more than a conqueror, then you are a saint in Christ Jesus. You see, you may still at times do sinful things. Sinful things, though, now describe you. They no longer define you. You now are defined by the blood that was shed and given so that you could receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I'm just going to preach to myself if nobody else wants to be preached to this morning. I, I don't know what else to say to you. His plan is, we're going to go up there because they're just people and they don't have God and we're the people of God. And then he says this, perhaps the Lord will help us. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Now here's what you need to know. Faith always carries a perhaps with it. Faith always carries a perhaps with it. If you're going to live by faith and that's the only way that you can please God, Hebrews eleven six, then you've got to know that faith always carries a Perhaps. 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 And if you can't embrace the perhaps, then you can't walk by faith. And if you can't walk by faith, then we can't please God. Faith requires us to embrace the fact that every day, perhaps God 
will move in a powerful and palpable way. And we are to not just, well, maybe, that's not passive, hopefully. No, it, it's an active confidence that walks towards a day looking for God, not wishing God was there, anticipating God, not hoping you stumble into God there. See, most of you aren't opposed to a move of God. You're just not actively in pursuit of one. Most of you aren't opposed to the voice of God. You're just not actively in pursuit of listening to or for it. Most of you would say you want your life to count for God, but you're not actively pursuing a life empowered by the Spirit that can count for the glory and power and impact of God. You see, you've got to embrace that every day as a perhaps. Perhaps today is the day. Perhaps, perhaps this is the moment. Perhaps this is the time. So he says, we're the people of God. God is with us. Let's go and take on these people. They don't have God. We've got God with us. Perhaps today will be the day that he will give us victory. And then he says this, he can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Now, he knows this historically. There was a guy named Gideon in the time of the judges that came before him who was uh, met by an angel of the Lord in the wine press as he was threshing out wheat to try and survive. They weren't making wine, they were making wheat. They were just trying to get bread. Ain't no meat and potatoes in this season, it's just bread. So he's approached by the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord looks at him and says, oh mighty man of God, or oh mighty warrior, and he go, he's like, who are you looking for? Because that's not me. So God uses this guy that's hiding and just trying to survive to go and confront the enemy that no one will confront. He tears down the Asherah pole. Uh, People are mad because they were trusting in idols and not in God. And he was messing with their idol that they thought was going to deliver them. After that, he raises up an army, but the army was too big. So God tells them the army's got to get smaller. So what do they do? They go through military exercises. After those military exercises, they take them down to the water. Track with me through the story. You can check it on later. They take them down to the water, and they keep the 300 that don't put their hand in the water and bring it to their mouth, but put their face in the water, which is a unique detail to say to us, they weren't CrossFitters who made the army. They were likely more Twinkie eaters than CrossFitters that made his army. I want you to think about the times in your life where you were so exhausted that you didn't have time to get down on one knee, grab some water, and look No, instead, the the people that he picked were probably like this. I just feel like you needed that. Does that help? And God's like, yeah, them. Why? Because no one's going to question that Twinkie eater, non-Murph doer, ain't been to the gym in five years but got the clothes to act like we go. No one's questioning whether or not I show up and give them victory through him. Right? So, so he's got a precedent historically because God used 300 to take down an entire mighty army. But he, he's also got some of his own experience. He's also got some of his own experience in the battles that he's seen in his life earlier in chapter 13. You see, his plan is, we've got God, they don't. Perhaps God will show up and do a mighty thing because God is able. So let's go see. Because perhaps today is the day. So, so let's go see. Let's, let's go see. You see, Psalm 27 comes from a king that writes this later. I think it's great. It says, some nations boast of their, what's on the other end of the valley? 3,000 of them. And horses. But we boast in the name of the Lord our, our God. This is the resounding truth of Scripture. Genesis chapter 18, verse 14 says this. Uh, speaking to Abraham and Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? 
It's a question that they're asking the people. It's a question that should be asked of you and your outlook of your life right now. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Our turn about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. If you go forward a little bit in your Old Testament, just to give you a few of these, Job 42.2, it says this, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. Right? Uh, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17 says this, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth, and by your strong and powerful arm, nothing is too hard for you. Just in case you're not getting the point, Luke chapter 1, verse 37, this was their summation in that time. For nothing is impossible with God. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God everything is possible. Jesus in the garden on the night that he was going to be betrayed and handed over and crucified ultimately still said this statement and believed it. Mark chapter 14 it says this, Abba Father, he cried out everything is for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Which by the way this is just a reminder that just because it's hard and just because it's painful and just because it's difficult doesn't mean that God is not ultimately going to get victory in and through it. It may not look like the victory you want. It may not look like the victory in the time that you think it will come. But God always wins. God always wins. He always wins. God always gets the glory. He always gets the victory. He always has the final word. Now, we say that in Christian circles and on Sunday mornings in church in the South and everyone, "Mm, praise the Lord, amen. But what I want you to know, what I want you to know is that faith sometimes requires you to wait And at other times, faith requires you to move. When you have faith that God is with you, sometimes you move when it would be more comfortable to stay. Sometimes you move when it doesn't make sense to move and you think we need more resources to do it. No, it's it's the perhaps, the by faith space. You see, belief requires action. Belief requires action. So, what happens? He puts his plan together, verse 8. All right, then, his armor bearer said. Oh, his armor bearer, verse 7, says this. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. Okay, verse 8. All right, then, Jonathan told him. We will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. That'll be the sign that God's not with us. But... If they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. (laughs) I want you to think about what Jonathan's metric for whether or not God was in and is not. The more impossible this gets, the more realistic and and, and the more conviction he has that God's with him. So think about it. If the army's up on a cliff and you're down in a valley that's called Thorny and Slippery Rock, and there's two of you and we don't know how many are in the outpost of them, and they yell down at you, stay there, we're coming to you, that would be a military advantage. You would have time to plot, time to scheme, time to hide, time to prepare, gather rocks, whatever it was that you were going to use since you only had one sword to take down this mighty army. Instead, Jonathan says, we'll know God's with us if instead of coming down to us, they say, climb up here. Consider that. I mean... That, that, that's not an advantage. That's a disadvantage. But Jonathan's not looking for whether or not he's going to be capable for taking on what's in the garrison. He's looking for whether or not God's going to be with them when he gets to the garrison. And if God's with them, then he's climbing. And if God's not, he's staying. If he says go, he's going. If he says stop, he's stopping. You see, for, for many of us, we, we think the life of faith is go always. 
No, sometimes it's stop and wait. Stop and wait. And it's obedient. It's good. Many of you have been broken because you wouldn't take a vacation and pray and take a nap. And for some of you, the best thing you could do is stop trying to fix things that you're not going to resolve by sundown. But you're living as if you've got to be the Savior that gets it done. Not, not everything's going to be perfect. Sometimes the dishes are going to be dirty. Sometimes the problems are going to be unresolved. Sometimes the issues are going to linger. Like, like, like not everything is going to be perfect because sometimes it's not just you being ready for them to be changed. It's God preparing other people to be reconciled in the situation that's not reconciled. And the irreconciliation is there so that he can work in their heart to soften it. And you're getting in the way because you won't just wait. On the other side, sometimes... You look at it and you're like, why now? Really, at this point in my life will be the time that you're going to ask me to do that? At this point in my life, at this point in our history, with all the stuff that's going on in the world, this is when you're going to put the opportunity in front of I mean, think about how many times the thing you asked God for came when you didn't want it to come. It was thorny and slippery, and it was not the right season in your mind. See, faith requires the ability to wait, and it also requires the ability to move. And when you move and when you wait, you have to embrace the fact that it always requires perhaps. 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 When the Philistines saw them come in verse 11, they shouted, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here, and we'll teach you a lesson. And Jonathan thought, oh, God is with us. <laughs> so they climbed, using both hands and feet. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. Suddenly panic broke, about, uh, broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outpost and the raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. God showed up, God moved. The entire army was shaken because someone had an active faith to go, an active faith to move. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 gives us this closing encouragement. It's what I would lay before you today. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Is God with you? God with you. I want you to marinate on it. I want you to think about it. Do you really believe that God is with you? Because if he is, then you can embrace it perhaps. If he is, you can turn a new page. If he is, you can with courage address and take on the day. It is God with you. See, the issue is not what lies ahead. The issue is what is with you in the present moment. And if you have God, man, then let's embrace the perhaps and watch God do the impossible. I believe God is with us in this endeavor that we're taking next door. And I want to invite you to take the next two weeks with me and pray about what God perhaps would have you do to help us move in that faith step and to continue the ministry that God has called us to there. Um, our prayer team's here. We know that a lot of you are facing a lot of uncertainty. But we believe that there's a faithful God that stands with you in it. And if we can encourage you and pray with you, we'd love to do that. And then right after, we have a few people that we're going to celebrate baptism with to close out our service. You move us to the Lord leads. Stay on the scene.